Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Missouri Soccer Podcast with me, Bridger, and my friend here, Preston. Say hi, Preston. Hi. So you're probably wondering, what is this thing going to be about? What do we do? Is this only going to be about Missouri soccer? Is this only going to be about things that are happening here? No, this is going to be about the world of soccer with a little bit of emphasis on kind of what's going on in Missouri as well, because that's where me and Preston are from. So we didn't go to the same high school together, but we did grow up around probably about 30 miles away from where pretty much all the soccer around our area was happening. So like Columbia is kind of our main area. So to start off, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of an intro about who I am, and then I'll let Preston give you an intro about who he is and what kind of how we got into the world of soccer and our, kind of our careers in a sense. They weren't very good, but our careers in a sense, but and kind of tell you, tell you like why we're still really invested in soccer now. So I grew up in a small town, went to Moberly High School. I played uh, soccer there as a goalie, and then I uh, went to Neosha County Community College, and then I went to William Woods University in Fulton, Missouri played NAIA soccer there. Um, been a, wasn't a diehard fan growing up, played it my whole life, hated it, went to football, quit that, went back to it in high school. And now it's my passion. And I just want to use this opportunity to just basically talk everybody's ear off because I know at work or anywhere else, no one's as big into soccer as me. So I'm going to use this as my chance to kind of meet new people, talk to people and talk to them about soccer. Favorite clubs. If you look behind me, I got Bayern Munich. That's my favorite team. Uh, I'm also a fan of Everton in the Premier League, and then soon to be a diehard fan of St. Louis City SC. Now that St. Louis, Missouri, or Missouri in general, finally got a MLS team, so that's kind of uh, a little bit about me, Preston. Yeah, so my name's Preston, and as Bridger said. Um, he grew up in a small town in central Missouri. I did as well. I'm from Ashland, Missouri, actually, um, which is just south of Columbia between Columbia and Jeff City. Um, I went to Southern Boone High School. I played soccer pretty much my whole life and then decided after my junior year to uh, retire the soccer career and focus more on basketball and track and field because for various reasons. But I ended up going to William Woods University um, where I met Bridger after playing against him a few times in high school and I competed in track and field at um, at William Woods University and now I am a PhD candidate at the University of Missouri still here in Columbia. I will say when we did play each other Moberly won. For some somehow you guys <laughs> got one over on it. I mean you stood on your head that game but I mean oh. It was a. It was always pretty good games between Moberly and Southern Moon. It was. was it was always close, and I think it was like what a one zero win. I think so. Yeah, and, and we had our chances that just a few sailed over. I think we put one, one or two um, on the frame, uh, put it off the woodworks. I think uh, some of the other guys on my team, but yeah, yeah I I will close. never forget that. I it's one of those games where like I remember because it was the first time I ever got interviewed after a game, and I never got interviewed, and I'm I was I was a pretty. I guess, social butterfly growing up. But if you put like a microphone in a 16, 17 year old kid's face and like, how was the game? Like, Oh, it, yeah, it was, was, it was good. To put one in front of you that, that young. Oh yeah. I had no idea what to say. I was so nervous. And I had just, we just got done with the game and I didn't even realize like, cause it goes by so fast. Like you don't even think about how the yeah. game actually was, but I mean, I remember that game. I had maybe two or three huge saves, but other than that, it was like, ping bar ping bar one in the trees it was just like a super close game and 
who was that who was that forward you guys had more jacob uh, moore jacob moore i think that was his freshman year then that was his freshman year yeah because he yeah it was his freshman year and um he, he should have pretty much started the whole year but coach coach held back on it because he was young um mm-hmm. but about half the year he started I, I can't remember i think that was second half of the season and i think he started in that one yeah didn't he, he wound up graduating jacob moore if you don't if people who are listening to this might know about him but he actually wound up going to playing division one soccer in oakland oakland, uh, oakland university yeah. but it wasn't in oakland california no it's up in rochester michigan i believe Yep, wound up playing Division One soccer there, and I know he's back in Columbia. I don't think he's playing anymore, and he played a little bit for the Daytona Dutch Lions, and so that's just a, a yeah. soccer player. I think he graduated with like 150, 160 career high school goals in Missouri. Something like that, yeah. I think he put up 50 his senior year. I think, so. just, I think he was averaging two-something a game his senior year. That is year. crazy good numbers. I mean, and especially yeah, I think, with yeah, Southern Moon's schedule, that's a really good tally of goals. Yeah. And I mean that was back when we were loading up the schedule, putting twenty-five games mm-hmm. down in the regular season. But yeah, so that's a great segue into our first talk, which is of course Missouri high school soccer, which me and Preston, even though we've graduated a couple of years ago, are still for some reason guys still addicted to high school soccer. Me because I'm all, I'm still I'm currently a high school soccer coach, so I'm in the life of high school soccer. But Preston because he's still a diehard you know, Southern Boone fan. So we got a little bit of a, a heck of a year for Southern Boone, eh, Preston? Yeah, yeah. Finally pulled one through and won the first state title. It was uh, the second state championship game they were in and six uh, final four in eight years. So it was about time they finally got the monkey off their back and, and won an actual state championship and actually did in a perfect season. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd also like to point out, uh, this was actually their coach's first season as a head coach and so he is a undefeated head coach one season in with a state title under his belt that's kind of hard, hard to beat there so yeah see if you can carry that over to the female side that's a heck of a way to start your first ever high school coaching coach career. Yeah. yeah 20 and 20 and 0 and i think they only allowed seven goals or seven or eight goals the entire year i mean in the yeah, jefferson city they beat other big schools i mean they even though they're a class one school they were beating teams that were class two, class three, class four. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know how exactly how they do it. Cause I didn't grow up around the area, but they've done a really, really good job of getting kids playing club soccer, doing and developing the youth program through Optimus and through other ways that they're doing it. Did you grow up through, yeah, did you go was, through Optimus? Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to talk about that a little bit, but yeah, I, we started out as Optimus and I can't remember what, I mean, we did Optimus ever since I was, little like three four years old it seemed like and um and then eventually uh obviously it kind of it's uh whittled down the older you get less people keep playing but we got to a point I think it was probably fifth or sixth grade uh we still had we had probably about enough um in my age group and the age group above us um of pretty decent players that were still interested in playing um a little bit further and more and more competitive games to kind of put a team together. And um, someone came in, some, some family moved in and kind of saw that need. I think they moved in from Oklahoma. It was the, the Moore family. So actually Jacob's mom and father, and he had uh, an older brother and older sister that were soccer players as well. I think his mom played, she might've played in college, but she was, she was a pretty good soccer player uh, 
from my understanding, but they saw the need and we, they put a team together and it's pretty interesting. It's not like all these club teams where you have to pay all these crazy fees. The, the coaches, uh, three coaches we had, um, were not taking a paycheck from it. They were just, we just had to pay for our uniforms and pay for entry fees into tournaments. And, um, actually it got to the point where we had some sponsors. So we really didn't have to pay for all the tournaments either. It was more of his hotels and we were traveling to all the big tournaments in the, the area for that age group. And, um, that's what really set it off for Southern Boone. Um, uh, I think building up and then obviously the younger kids saw, and there was a, there was a grade, a couple grades above us that, was like the first time Southern Union actually had a legit soccer team that was ranked and everything like that. And um, actually interesting, they made to the state tournament after the first district title and they lost to Whitfield. So it's kind of funny. It kind of comes full circle beat Whitfield mm-hmm. in their first state championship and undefeated season, but that's kind of how it went. And now it's district titles are um, a common thing. I think it's t- 10 years in a row now. 10, ten years and, in a row now. Yeah. And then so like, so that's kind of how it happened in Southern Boone. Yeah, I, I had kind of the same thing, except not really like a parent just showing up and then saying like, hey, we should make a club team and changing the culture from there. But actually, Moberly has and and still has today and had a traveling team, the Storm team. I don't know if you ever played us, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, we actually came up to your tournament, I think, a few times. Yeah. Mobley, it used to host tournaments. It used to bring in, we used to have like 500 kids out on the field. It was like a normal thing. It, it died off a little mm-hmm. bit whenever I was in high school. And I can remember when I started getting older, less and less kids were playing. They were kind of going, when they get into middle school, instead of, you know, playing Storm, they were all going to go play for their school team, which that's another segue. Not We're not going to do that yet, but kind of, that's what we did. We had the Mobley Storm and it's, it's actually starting to pick back up again. I, I think um, it's Phil Samp and, uh, or, I can't remember his first name. I know his last name is Sam. It's funny. If you watch this, man, I'm sorry. But, and then uh, Sandra Samuels, who she's been a part of it for freaking ever. And she's still doing it now, even though she has, she has a grandkid in it now, but she'll, she'll probably run that thing forever. And she's awesome. But there's, they're starting to finally build up the Mobley storm program again. But uh, besides just Southern Boone, I think it was uh, the class two state championship was another team that had never won a state title before in their life. MICDS, which was a, is a private school around the St. Uh, St. Louis area. I think it's like Mary Institute Sunday or s- something day school is how they like, or country day school. That's what it is. Yeah. And they actually won their first state title over Orchard Farm, which I, if you go by my rankings, I did not think MICDS was going to win it. I actually had Orchard Farm winning it, winning it, but I had it going against, I actually had it going against Monet. That was my prediction, but Monette wound up losing to my CDS bad, like five, one in the first round of state. And then my, my CDS wound up taking the whole thing. And then class three was Fort Zumwalt South, who I actually predicted to win state uh, against Notre Dame, Cape Girardeau. And then I think it was, so there's something pretty interesting between the, the I, I caught on to this and I was like, that is really, really interesting class one, two and three state championship game was all the um, ranked number one team versus ranked number six. Really? Yes. And the number one team ranked the number one ranked team won all three of those. Wow. Pretty interesting. Did not happen in class four though. It did not. Yeah. Jackson high school. Did anybody see this coming? Number 12. Number 12. Probably not. The, okay. Maybe and, the and, coach, maybe the players on the team. <laughs> 
Yeah, for real. A couple. Okay, I, I will never forget. Uh, the only reason why I really know Jackson High School is I remember one time I was watching a, a live stream game of CBC versus Jackson in the first round, like sectionals, and CBC actually beat them five zero. I think CBC went on to win state or lose state that year to Rockhurst. Well, I think I think they actually wind up winning that state that that year. But I remember reading in the live chat comments or whatever on the right that some of the CBC boys were like, why are we playing this jank team in the middle of nowhere? Where, yeah. where the heck even is Jackson, Missouri? And well, now, that's what everyone says about Southern Moon. Until yeah, we beat say it. that about Moberly too. They have no idea where these places are. Even yeah. for the team that I coach, they, they have no idea where this team is. But there's I, actually a player on Southern Boone. He tweeted something about the state championship and he put hashtag Hicks from the sticks. And I was like, that's a pretty <laughs> good one right there. But that per, that that's perfect. That's just that's what they should put on their new shirts now. Like everything on the back. Hashtag yeah. Hicks from the sticks. Wearing camo and Hunter. Exactly. But yeah, Jackson wound up winning the state this year, not only beating not only beating St. Dominic in the final who were 22 and or 23 or 22 and one, not only losing one game the whole year, probably ranked as one of the number one teams in the, not only in the state, but probably ranked nationally. And Jackson winds up beating Lindbergh, then beats Chaminade and then beats Park Hill in the semis to go and win in overtime one zero against St. Dominic. It's just, that's just an awesome story, which I think that means, Three out of the four state championship winners this year were all public schools. Southern Boone's public. Yeah. MICDS yeah. is private. Then you got Forge and Walt South is public. And then Jackson is public, which I think is really cool. Cause I don't remember the last time that the majority of state championships were won by mid Missouri or not mid Missouri, but won by public schools. I, I don't remember the last time. That's well, happened. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you the last time a class one, or cost two was a public school one, either of those. Typically, it's uh, you get a three or a four, uh, a team kind of like a Rockridge that's a public school that ends up winning it, it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. But class one, I don't, I don't even remember the last time public school won that. No. But, and Whitfield is actually like a powerhouse in class one. Like they were really, really, really yeah. good. Um, I want to say mm-hmm. this was, I think the last time they won a state title was somewhere around 2009, 2010. And then they actually got bumped up to yeah. class two and they haven't, they haven't done much since then. And that has nothing to do with the coach. I think yeah. it's just bigger schools. They, I mean, they're in a, they're in an area where they're literally right next to CBC. They're right next to Priory. They're super close to Duchenne. Like they're super close to all those schools. So, or John Burroughs. So they're always get lumped in with a, with a district of like Priory, John Burroughs, one of those really, really good class two private schools. And so it's just, it's hard to compete. I mean, those schools are just so good. And so yeah. dominant. I mean, they finished, they finished the regular season four and six and end up being eight and eight and six in the end, or eight and seven, I guess. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, class, I, but these two teams, Southern Moon and Whitfield, um, watching them play, I've saw Southern Moon play a few games this year. Um, and Whitfield was a very solid team. It was, a, it was a really close state championship. Either of those teams might have won class two this year, honestly. It's a and I mean both of they they won their their final four games eight to zero and six to zero like you don't see that like that's that's just domination I mean any other year Whitfield would have won that yeah easily yeah like watching them play I mean they were 
super, super good on the ball, super composed, looking to play into the gaps. I mean, they were a very, they were a classic St. Louis school. They were a classic, let's play to feet, tiki taka, move the ball, possess mm-hmm. the ball. And then Southern Boone was like, nope, not here. Let's play for set pieces. Show let's be physical. Throw. Let's do the long throws. Yeah. Let's play the long free kicks. Let's win in the air. And, and it worked. I mean, they yeah, scored yeah. Off, and they was just, it off uh, a corner. Or was it a long throw in? It was a, I think it was a free kick. Okay. Yeah. It I knew it was a set piece. A yeah. It bounced around a little bit and went to a guy sitting right in front of the goalie and he just finished it. I mean, he, he was just in the right place at the right time and just put it in. I mean, that's all you can ask for in those positions is people attacking, attacking, attacking the box every, every opportunity. I mean, got one in. Yep. And that is actually Southern Boone becomes the first ever high school in mid Missouri. And so like mid Missouri is like Columbia, Jeff city, Moberly, Ashland, Boonville, Fulton, just like that kind of middle area. It's the first ever mid Missouri school to win a Misha state championship title. I'm not going to count Christian fellowship high school who play in the Christian high school. Cause they won state a bunch, but that's different for the mission, but officially yeah. the first ever mid Missouri school to ever win a state title, which is awesome. I mean, we've had a couple yeah. teams get close. Helias has been in a state championship before Moberly's made it to semis. Marshall's made it to semis. Rockbridge has made it to semis. Hickman, I think has made it to semis maybe once. Yeah, and then Southern Boone's been in a final before, and then a bunch of semi championship, semi champions, semi finals, mm-hmm. sorry, and then to finally make it. So, I mean, it was this is just this is big for mid Missouri soccer. At least if it doesn't help, you know, some schools be like, hey, Southern Boone can do it, we can do it. What are they doing? Then I, I hope it'll help it grow. Yeah. Which, yeah. Speaking of helping mid Missouri soccer grow, so a couple of you on Twitter, I'm going to go ahead and sh- share my screen here. Okay, a couple of you on Twitter, we did a poll right here about what do you think would benefit Mid-Missouri most when it comes to growing soccer in the area? And out of 79 votes, 38 of you chose middle school soccer. 30 of you chose better youth coaching. 22% of you said more club teams. And then 8.9% of you said more high school teams. Okay, so those were not put there in any order. Those were just put there as kind of things that I think about on the daily because I'm a nerd and this is all I think about, about what could we do in mid-Missouri to help soccer not only grow, but to become competitive with Kansas City and St. Louis and also Springfield teams because we can't say up north because there's like, what, three teams up north besides like the Maryville area and St. Joe. It's like Kirksville. Then you got Hannibal and Canton. So it's like all, and then I guess Moberly would be considered up north, but. So out of those, yeah. Preston, which one did you think – what do you think would be the top one? Well, I kind of have like a little bit of a list, and I'll go through a few of the other ones. But I think a, a big one is middle school teams because this kind of feeds into another another kind of uh, um, thought of way to increase soccer in, in Missouri. Um, one being like cheaper league fees. Like it's not, it's not a cheap thing to be on a competitive soccer team anymore, especially in the U.S., so if you give that option through a school option for kids in middle school, that I think in the end will uh, increase the success and um, competitiveness in, in high school. And I mean, you, you see professional athletes now, like, um, like Odell Beckham Jr. He actually talks about playing soccer and how it helped him a lot um, with his development of football. Soccer is one of those sports where you can 
really understand your body a lot more that I think in other sports it will it will help um, as well. I mean, like Steve Nash is another one with basketball um, specifically. Some of the other ideas I kind of have in my mind too is uh, more tournaments held kind of in the mid-Missouri area. I feel like there maybe I, I'm kind of removed from it, but I feel like there's less than there was outside of like the Show Me State games. And that, that includes like indoor soccer at the MAC. I, I feel like that's a great opportunity in the winter where you can make a lot of improvements and um, it's a, just a faster style of play and, um, would would really help in Missouri if there was maybe another facility like that, um, maybe a little bit bigger, um, that would host maybe some indoor tournaments. Um, having maybe a team like a USL team maybe in the area, I think it would do fine. Maybe wouldn't make a whole – maybe it wouldn't be super, super su- successful, but I think that would at least break even and it would be worth the time. Or um, maybe like an NPSL team, like a semi – That's what I was going to say division, too, yeah. yeah. NPSL and I mean there's plenty of colleges around here with great soccer teams I mean CMU Missouri Valley uh, William Woods does fine I mean there's the Columbia College I mean there's plenty of teams around that have that are very competitive for their division in college and Westminster as well Um, they all do fine I mean if there's more advertising for those college teams kids coming out to watch these college teams a little more um, and kind of make that connection in their head. Hey, maybe I could do that type of thing. Uh, that would, I think that would help as well. Um, maybe, I, I mean, sports in, in central Missouri usually get supported pretty well. That I think there could be room for maybe a local sports channel and showing uh, maybe local college teams or high school teams on that sports channel might help out a little bit. Um, because who knows when we're going to be back at, at a sports game anyways in the near future because of right. everything going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's always been weird to me, and you would probably would agree too, why, I, I understand probably the reasons behind it, but why the University of Missouri does not have a men's soccer team. I mean, you look at uh, the area, I mean, there's definitely a, a – could, they could have success with a men's team. I mean, you get – great players out of St. Louis and Kansas city area that you could easily draw into Missouri. I know you'd have to add, add some type of female sports because of all the, the title nine stuff um, to make it even and fair play. And it's not huge in our conference. I don't even think there's any other sec teams that have men's soccer, but maybe the Florida or something. I can't, I'm not really sure though. I, I can't but remember if I there think, are any that do. Yeah. I think if Mizzou had a men's soccer team, that'd be, Fantastic. I mean, SLU does fine. SLU, I think in 2003, SLU had the highest average attendance in all of NCAA for men's soccer. Well, they, they like, had like 5,000 people at a game last year before, like pre-COVID. Yeah. They had over 5,000 people at a home soccer game in St. at SLU High School, or not SLU High School, St. Louis University. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a, a place for it and people will go and watch. I mean, I would go and watch for sure. But I mean, and some people don't realize Missouri is a big place for soccer. I mean, SLU has 10 national championships. I mean, what else can you ask for? I know that was in the 60s, 70s time frame, but still, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, people are still want to watch it. I think the St. Louis SC, St. Louis City SC is going to do great in that area specifically. But yeah, just specifically in mid Missouri, those are some things I think of. But middle school teams, an easy, quick one you can add that probably won't cost a school too much. And there's if everyone buys in in the area we've talked about it before if everyone buys in, in the area there's plenty of teams to play without having to travel too far but 
yeah, that's like kind of my thought. Every AD that I've ever talked to about getting middle school soccer, the first thing they always say say is, "Well, there's no teams to play," and it's like, "Well, yeah, because yeah. you kind of you kind of got to get a team to have teams to play because mm-hmm. it, it's like you're we're yeah. we're just standing here, you know, waiting for someone to finally like have the cojones just to go." all right, we're going to get a team. You guys better get one in the next year or two. Like, let's do it. Yeah. Or maybe they can all come together and be like, okay, we offer high school soccer. Why don't we offer these kids that want to play high school soccer an opportunity in the middle school instead of forcing these kids to either, one, play on a club team, which is going to cost them a lot more money, or two, play in a local rec league where they're going to have most likely, most likely, not all of them, but most likely going to have terrible ta- like terrible coaching, it's not going to be ran professionally. The kids aren't going to get the training that they need to be ready for the high school level as a freshman. So you're either forcing kids mm-hmm. to get pr- terrible coaching or these kids are going to have to spend thousands to maybe like thousands of dollars traveling to Kansas city or St. Louis or Springfield every weekend. And a lot of families, especially during COVID can't afford that. And mm-hmm. it's really, really stupid that we have schools that offer a bunch of other sports for these certain kids but then we don't offer them for them. And I understand, yes, there's no teams to play. So what's the point of getting them? Or maybe it's like, maybe it, your school is a lower income school and they, you don't actually have the money to do it. Cause I know travel can be an issue, especially when there's not a lot of local teams that have it. But if you got together and you said, Hey, I've got 30 kids here. They don't play football. They don't play softball. They don't do any of these other sports that are in the fall. Let's maybe, maybe not make it like a Misha officiated sport, but let's just like do it as a club team through the middle school where it's not, they don't, kids don't pay anything and they just have like a middle school, like, or they just have like a, a Moberly or whatever the Columbia middle school is like Smithton or, or, or Southern Ashland middle school or Southern Boone middle school or Moberly or Fulton, whatever that is. Maybe they, it's not like a mission sport, but it's just a club thing where mm-hmm. you might go and play other schools. Now I know insurance issues can come from that because what if a kid breaks his leg or, you know, something happens, like how are they going to get there travel wise? So I know like insurance could become an issue, but maybe if we did that for like the first year or two and figure it out and then be like, okay, Hey, we've, we've done the club thing for a little bit. It's working. Let's officially make it a school sport where they can be insured and be safe. We can use the buses to travel and it becomes an actual school sport for these kids because especially this is one of the reasons why I know a lot of my friends um, quit soccer around Moberly and then went to football is because there was a football team at the middle school. All their friends are playing Mm -hmm. on the middle school football team. So they want to be with their friends and they want to represent their school and they want to have the Monday night lights, whatever it's called for, you know, middle school football, because you know, the school has it for them and the kids want to do that. And they want to be, they want to represent their school. They want to represent their community. A lot of kids who play on like rec soccer leagues, they don't, especially in like towns like Moberly or Ashland or Fulton or Boonville, they don't feel like they represent their school or represent their people. They just feel like they represent this club. So I feel like if you gave these kids the opportunity to represent their school, you'd have a lot of kids coming out. And there's a lot of kids that I know that go and play football just because, well, Tommy, my friend, he plays football. I don't like football, but I just wanted to hang out with him after school. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, if you wanted to, like, why can't we just give that for the soccer kids? Like, why can't we give them the opportunity? I know there's probably, Mm. we're probably not going to solve the whole issue right here, you know, but Hey, Boonville, Moberly, Mexico, Fulton, Southern Boone. If you all just got middle school soccer all in one year, boom, you got 
five teams right there. You play each other twice. That's an eight game season. Boom. That's it. That's all you gotta do. But I know yeah. it's probably not gonna happen today, but we'll just keep harping this every single episode. Cause that's something <laughs> I'm really, really does. Like I have always been, why don't we have middle school soccer? And I'm a, I'm a middle school teacher. So of course I have a couple of kids that come, come to me during the day, like coach Brett's win soccer season for the middle school. I want to play. And it's like, we don't have a team, but you can play on this club team in Jefferson city, or you can play on this club team in, in Columbia, or you can play for my club team. So you have to pay. And it's just like, ah, it's just a mess. And, but yeah. uh, with that as well, not like middle school soccer is not going to solve the entire issue with mid-Missouri soccer, you know, Sorry guys, I don't have COVID or anything. I just got nasal drip, and so I sound a little raspy. That's what, raspy. That's why. But I, I think the other one on there was better youth coaching. That was like the second one, and I mm. totally agree with that as well. I think the emphasis for like good youth soccer coaches is a, is basically is a super huge need here in here in the Columbia area. But the problem is, is that you have a lot of people that either don't stay in their area or don't stay in their small towns and they have to go to Columbia or they move and go to move to Springfield or they move to St. Louis or they move to Kansas city. So they don't stay in the area, especially if they were good soccer players because the opportunities weren't really there for them. Or it's the fact that there's no like coaching clinics around here. Like there's no CBC Dutch touch, you know, Dutch soccer training, youth training that comes to Columbia it, the limited resources because there's and a lot of it is too I, I don't blame them I don't blame them for not coming because it, if I wanted to host like a, a soccer coaching clinic I'm probably going to get a lot of more a lot more people paying for it and coming to it if it's in St. Louis than if I did it in Columbia so I also I, think that's a that's like a systemic U.S. soccer issue as well with that I mean you could probably speak to this more since you're in the coaching area but the certifications and all the coaching clinics like that's ran through us soccer are not cheap for my understanding compared to other countries. $400 and you got to be there for like three or four days or three or four weekends. And Mm -hmm. if I have a job or like a weekend job, I can't make that. Or if I'm a full-time teacher and a soccer Mm -hmm. coach, I I can't show up and drive to St. Louis three or four times a week or every weekend to do this. And I, you know, $400, especially now with COVID it's not, that's a, that's a lot of money right now. Especially for me, because yeah. I'm broke. But yeah, I mean, there's there's so many things that, especially with the U.S. training, it was like one of the things that someone brought up to me not too long ago was, do you know how many like a licensed coaches there are in Iceland? And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't really matter because there's only like three hundred thousand people in Iceland. That's the size of St. Louis. You know how many a licensed yeah. coaches are in St. Louis? There's tons, but all yeah. of them stay there because the opportunities are there. And none of them are being like, hey, I got my A license. I'm going to leave St. Louis where there's tons of club teams I can coach for and go to Boonville. Like, they don't want to do that. Yeah. And what you said earlier about, um, you know, there's not that many tournaments that happen here anymore. It's literally pretty much only show me state games. That, yeah. And unfortunately, the Jeff City doesn't do its invitational anymore. Uh, sporting, once when Pride became Sporting Columbia, they basically don't even do their own tournament here. Mobley yeah. Massa doesn't host his tournament anymore because they can't get teams to come here anymore because yeah. a team that's in St. Louis, it's like, why would we go to Moberly? Why would we go to Jefferson city? Why would we go to Columbia? If there's 50 club teams here, we can play in 20 mm-hmm. tournaments a year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things that it just like bothers me and I, I, I get mad about it, but Again, it's like, I totally understand. I understand why they do that. And I know a lot of them probably don't want to do that. So 
another things on there was more club teams, which I know a lot of people chose because if there was more club teams in the mid Missouri area, then more teams from St. Louis Springfield, uh, Kansas city would be willing to come here because there'd be more teams to play more tournaments. The problem is there's really no soccer that's up North. It's only literally East, West, down South and central. So there's not that many club teams up North. I think there's literally Hannibal and they go play in either Quincy or I think they go to St. Charles and then Kirksville has one, but they only go play in Moberly on like friendlies and Jefferson city club teams and sporting Columbia. They all go to Springfield. Or they all go to Kansas city and St. Louis. They don't even do anything locally anymore. And I get yeah. that because there's more teams there. There's more opportunities. And, but the thing is that thing, those cost a lot of money. If you want to yeah. do like, cause they're in like what the Heartland league and then they're in Slisa. I think to join Slisa, it's like, a thousand eight hundred to a thousand dollars just to sign up a team and if i'm a team that's in fulton or i'm a team that's in ashland or i'm a team that's in boonville or moberly a thousand dollars that's a lot of money especially if you don't have you know a, a big huge sponsor that's a lot of money to have kids cough up to you just to have them go and get their butts kicked in st louis you know and, and yeah. can, kids can their parents take off work and have them drive to st louis or kansas city and a lot of people, they can't do that. And then that's mm -hmm. what brings up another issue is what if there was more team or more high schools or communities around that had high school teams so they could form kind of like their own leagues or own little club teams that just play each other for fun. And that was one of my issues is like, cause like I, I know schools like <clears throat> schools like uh, North Callaway, South Callaway, New Bloomfield that are right next to me, super small. They're probably never going to get soccer. But then you go up north and there's teams like Macon, which has around the same exact population and same exact number of kids in their school as Southern Boone. And they don't have soccer. And then yeah, you have – They might be a little bigger, too. I think Macon might be – I think – well, it probably won't be in like a very long time from now, but I think Macon yeah. might be a little bit bigger than Southern Boone. Because uh. <clears throat> I think Southern Boone has, what, 450 kids, 460 kids in it? That's about right. I think a little more. I think I graduated with like about 120. So, yeah, that's probably right. Now. And I think Macon's right around 400 to 500 kids. So, like, they're the exact same size. And I think a lot of them has to do the same thing. Well, there's not a lot of teams around us, or maybe they don't have someone who's pushing for soccer in the community. Yeah. So, it's just, it's one of those things where I think, I think the biggest thing that could really help is obviously middle school soccer. I think that would be a great stepping stone to push for other schools mm -hmm. to get it. I mean, there would be a perfect little mid Missouri league that could totally do it. I mean, if, if Mexico got it, if Ashland got it, if Boonville got it, if Moberly got it and if Fulton got it, that's, that's a perfect little area that could just make a little middle school soccer league. Oh, and there's already two teams in, in Columbia that play it. Christian fellowship has a middle school team and Columbia independent has a middle school team. So, I mean, yeah. there's a perfect little area right there where we could all play each other. The problem is, is one of us has to just do it just to you get, you got to get a team and then hope that these other two teams play each other. And if you got to go to Sedalia and play Green Ridge and Marshall and uh, Lamont and Smithton and do a little bit of long distance driving your first year or two, it's going to be worth it in the long run. If you want to get these kids that don't want to play football, the opportunity to play the sport that they want to play. So yeah. any final notes you have on that? 
I know I kind of went off a little bit and just kind of went on a tangent. No, you're good. No, I think we pretty much covered everything on that one. Perfect. So to get away from high school soccer, congratulations on Southern Boone, MICDS, Fort Zumwalt South, and Jackson on getting your state titles this year. I think that was Southern Moon's first one, MICDS's first one, Fort Zumwalt South's second one, and obviously Jackson's first ever trip to a final and first ever state title. So congratulations to you guys. Um, before we go into our next segment, I had Preston over here look up a couple of trivia questions for me to see if I can get them right, see what I know, and then I have – then we'll go on to our next segment. Okay. So we're, we're go, we're getting away from Missouri and we're going to get a little bit more into international soccer with the U S men's national team. Uh, what happened to Germany lately? Uh, Josh Sargent, just kind of stuff like that. So Preston, what are these uh, trivia questions you got for me? See if, see if I know what I'm yeah. doing. So this one is a, a U.S. Um, soccer team, U S men's national team type question here. So uh, the 17 year old Musa, familiar with him mm-hmm. yeah so well, he yeah, played he just get his first two caps yes he did yeah um so he actually has four different citizenships do you know how he got his u.s citizenship oh okay i thought you're gonna ask me what are his four other nationalities that he can play for that's what i meant the nationality like not nationalities but how he he has the chance to play for four different national teams how did he get the the ability to play for the u.s oh well i'm guessing i don't think he was born in the united states i think he's like i think he's got like a no it wouldn't be like a grandpa because i know he can either play for like england uh i don't know if it's like nigeria and like you it's Ghana. Okay. So he's got like three. I know he's got those. Uh, I don't think it would be like a grandpa. I'm going to go and say that, go ahead and say he has like, I'm just going to say that he was born in the United States. Okay. You're, you're, yeah, you're right on that. Actually his uh, mother, his mother decided to take a vacation when she was nine months pregnant to New York city and ended up having him in new york City. <laughs> that is awesome yes yeah, good job yeah. way to come in so all of you women who are living in europe or all these places and you're diehard soccer fans and you're nine months pregnant come to the united states new york is a great place yeah. to have a baby come to mid missouri you know Pretty there's good hospitals too, you know? Yeah. come yeah, vacation exactly. in the united states probably not right now with covid but come in vacation if you're nine months pregnant so you can have your baby and born <laughs> in the united states oh speaking of that did you know Cristiano ronaldo's son was born in california was he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So technically, that's a chance there. He could play for USA in the future. He probably won't. He'll probably play for Portugal. But yeah. even if he's going to yeah, be that good, Portugal I know he's just like, starts being trash. I don't know. Well, he's killing it right now for Juventus' youth team. I think he has like out of thirty-eight games, he's got like fifty some odd goals. So I think he's going to be good. And I'm pretty sure he was like yeah. bio bioengineered anyway, because I'm pretty sure Cristiano oh, Ronaldo does that. Makes his kids like superhuman. <laughs> Okay. All right. So I got the first one, right? What's the second one? All right. So Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney, uh, they recently bought a Welsh soccer team. You familiar with that? Yes. So they bought um, Wrexham AFC. Yeah. So 
this club is actually one of the oldest professional soccer clubs ever. Which, which uh, number? Like, were they the first? Were they the tenth? Were they the twentieth? Do you know which soccer team they were for professional? So, like, so on a list of like oldest clubs founded, which one yes. are they? Yeah, I don't think they're the oldest professional team because I think that's like. That's somebody in England. They're in Wales, but they play in the English um, National League. Um, are they the second oldest club in the world? They're the third. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was one off. Dang, that's a yeah, good question. So they, I would uh, never even thought about that. Yeah, they're they're actually a uh, they're a, like a mining town. So think of like West Virginia, uh, mm-hmm. like if the team was in Virginia. Um, and I guess the mining industry is really down there. So um, they want to keep the club um, in the town. And uh, um, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney, uh saw the opportunity and purchased it. Um, and they put two and a half million of their own money into it. And they're actually they're, they're doing a pretty good job of trying to keep the history of it and everything. Mm-hmm. And not making it about them. They're making it about the actual team. So they're trying that's to super awesome. Away. And that's that. Yeah. That that makes me feel happy. I mean, that's super awesome that Americans. Oh, I guess he's Canadian, but can, like American people or people that live in America are wanting to invest into, you know, non-league or lower league teams. But I wish that we had promotion relegation where we could have people invest in teams in America. But I mean, it's yeah. super cool what they're doing. I'm glad they're going to help save that team because it is a historic historic team. I'm pretty sure it's besides like Cardiff and Swansea, it's like the third biggest team in that in Wales. So no, that's awesome. Hey, that was a good question. I didn't even think about something Here's like that. Last one? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So this one is a Missouri soccer based question uh, okay. with some national implications as well. So uh, St. Louis has a rich history in soccer, um, particularly professional and uh, world cup wise. Um, and St. Louis has had a player play in the World Cup for the United States every time the United States has been to the World Cup. And um, as we know, in 1955, of the 11 players uh, on the U.S. men's national team that beat, um, beat England in a big upset were from St. Louis, actually. So my question is, how many St. Louis people from St. Louis have been inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame? Oh, Dang, okay. It's probably a lot more than I'm going to say. I feel like I'm going to under undershoot it. Uh, is Taylor Twelman in the Hollywood – or not Hollywood, in the Soccer Hall of Fame? Did he get inducted? I believe so. I believe so because he was in the MLS uh, MVP one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just for other U.S. Men's National Team. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I'm going to say 12. You are underestimating. It is 29. 29 people from St. Louis have been inducted into the Hall of Fame for soccer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it took us till 2020 to finally get a team. Well, <laughs> we've, had, we've had different professional yeah. teams. We've actually had a professional league. I was actually all St. Louis teams. So, um, yeah. so there was like a Forest Park team. There was like a St. Louis brewery team, like different mm-hmm. teams like that. That's um, so cool. Well, that's what those guys played on, wasn't it? Like that old. I believe so. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like 1930s is I think when it ended, and so I think that's when they were all mm-hmm. playing there. Well, there was a, I think there's a team that's in St. Louis. It's like a actually it's it's tied to a funeral home that has won like the U.S. Open Cup or something like five times. I can't tell you what that is, and I feel bad because we're in a podcast right now. I don't even know that. <laughs> I think it's like Cutis or Cutis or it's some some funeral home that's what used to be a team like back in that old league that's won like the U S open cup, like four or five times. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And that's just, that's that's just another thing huge with about Missouri soccer is not only is there a person from Missouri, every single world cup, but we also have U S open cup winners that have won it like three, four or five times. Obviously it's like a long time ago, but the history is there. And then you also have Salu, which has the most national titles ever for college soccer. And you have, even though it's Edwardsville, it's in Illinois. Uh, University of Edwardsville. What is that called? SIUE. SIUE. Uh, yeah, SIUE. I think, what is it? There was a game between those two teams back in like the 70s that had 35,000 people at it for a college yeah. soccer game. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's crazy. Soccer sure. is huge in this area, in the St. Louis area, in Missouri in general. And it, it just, it's, it's blown my mind that we haven't had a team yet. I mean, I know yeah. we tried to get one back in like 2010 and we didn't get the spot. I think like um, Portland got it or somebody like that. But in our management, we haven't had like, yes, somebody like that. Like we haven't, we've just never had good ownership group and we finally got it now, which I'm super excited. I'm going to be a season ticket holder, even though I live, you know, an hour and a half from St. Louis, I'll, I'll make it to as many games as I can, especially if they're on the weekends. So yeah. I think, we can go and this can be our next spinoff. So is that the last trivia question? That is all I have. Yeah. Wow. So I went, would I go one for two or one for three? Um, you kind of, th- you got part of one. You got part of the first one. All right. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Cause I got the, okay. I'll take that. I'll do better next time. Yeah. So to go oh, into good. that. So just a real quick question. St. Louis City SC, they will not start playing until 2022, I think, is when they will officially have their first season, right? 2023. I think it's 2023. So who do you think? So that's three years in the future or two and a half years in the future. Who do you think right now should be their first signing? If you, if you, were, if you were the GM right now and you were looking at players right now at this age, and let's be realistic – Messi's probably not going to go to St. Louis. Ronaldo's not yeah. going to go to St. Louis. Yeah, they're going to yeah. go to Miami or California. So, but if you were being realistic, and it doesn't have he doesn't have to have ties to St. Louis at all, but who would you pick to be the club captain and first signing? Well, this is a a big dream, but we bring Josh Sargent back to Missouri. <laughs> bring him back, but that's he's going to be way past that when he gets. When he gets around, um, he'll so be way thinking, too good for MLS. Oh yeah, we're thinking, he'll be only uh, what twenty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three now years. maybe when he's like getting ready to retire, he'll come and play. Yeah, and that's who I think they're really going to kind of go after at first. I mean, you got to kind of build the fan base up a little bit. Um, man, I don't really know who, who, are, who do you have in mind. I think it's very plausible that this could happen, and I think it would be a great signing for him, and I think it needs to happen. 
but I think Tim Ream, U.S. Men's National Team center back. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's at Fulham right now. I think yeah. he's 31 or 32, right around the age, so he'll mm-hmm. be around 34, 35. But he's from St. Louis. He's a, a leader. Yeah. He's already captained the men's national team. He's got like 30 or 40-some-odd caps. He's a center back, which you obviously want to have a strong defense and a strong leader back there. And he's from the area. And people are going to know who he is, and they're going to want to go see him. So I think Tim Ream would be a smart first signing for the captain. I think that would be a great signing yeah. for him. He brought that A-jabberage up in the U.S. men's national game <laughs> up quite a bit because he was playing with a bunch of 17-year-olds. Oh, yeah. But, Everyone brought up how yeah. old he was. Is he, wait, yeah. is he 33 exactly. now? How old is he? I think something like that. He's 32, 33, but he, he should still be he, – he doesn't look like he's anywhere near retiring, and he could come back and play in MLS for like two years. I think it would be a great signing yeah, for him. Yeah, he uh, he's 33. Yeah, so he'll be around retiring, but I think he, with his experience, and he's never been the fastest player, so speed's not going to be an issue really for him getting older. And with his experience in Europe, his leadership, his U.S. men's national team experience, him being from the area, I think mm-hmm. that would be a dead-on first signing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not a bad one. And then uh, I think there's a goalkeeper from this area as well, right? Joe Lewis. That's perfect. Is that who it is? No, hold on. Okay. Or no. hold on. I might be wrong with that. He he just won shutout. I just posted a tweet about it. <laughs> I just yeah. talked about it not but too I long ago. I think he'd ago. be a good one to do it, potentially. Yeah, but yeah, that it or Will Bruin, who's a striker, but I think he's I think he's getting close to retiring. He'll be 34 and he's a striker and he hasn't been the most prolific yeah. guy. He graduated from Chaminade. Tom Barlow, who plays at New York Red Bulls right now. He could be a good signing in the future to have if you're trying to bring in like if you're trying to bring in people from Europe or people from St. Louis, those guys would obviously be like really good signings to get. And they're good players, mm-hmm. so they wouldn't hurt the team. But yeah, yeah, I just think Tim Ream would be a spot on first signing captain, would be a great leader. Yeah. So did you think so of you anybody who you would that? want? Yeah. What anybody that I would want? Yeah, did you think of anybody that you could bring in? You, I mean, you don't. If you think Tim Ream would be a good option, you can just say that too. No, that, I no, I think that's that's a good option. Unless you can somehow get Ebra over here, but <laughs> he'd be like forty two, still still <laughs> kicking fine. it in MLS. Dude, he's yeah. like thirty eight. He's killing it in Serie A right now for AC Milan. He does that. He does that Taekwondo. Yeah, does a lot of that. That helps yeah. with your flexibility, and when you're getting older and older and older, flexibility is huge. Yeah. All, All right. right. You want to segue to the Panama U.S. game? Since we're yes, I do. Team. Yes, I do. So USA beat Panama six two in. I don't remember where it was played. It was like Norway. It was somewhere. It wasn't in America. Austria. Austria. Played them in Austria. Six two went over Panama. Panama actually took the lead. In the first 10 minutes, and then Gio Reyna scored. And then I'm going to probably butcher his name, but uh, Giacchina, Chini, Giacchini, I'll probably, yeah, I'm butchering his name, but he wound up scoring his first two ever USA goals. And I actually found out he was actually born in Kansas City, Missouri. He's playing yeah, over. And so he, both of his uh, parents have played professionally. So I, I heard that his dad scored his first, like, 
international rule when he was like 20 and I think his mom's 19. He's 18. So if he has a kid, maybe he can put it down to 17. I don't know. But, but yeah, his, so they moved from Kansas city to Italy because his dad wanted to start like a pasta making factory or something. I don't know. Something crazy. Pasta making. Go to Italy. (laughs) No, it it really is something like that. I forget exactly. (laughs) That's what it is. They've got a good last name to name a pasta, though. <laughs> Giacchini? Yeah. I think that's what how you but, say his name. But he wound yeah, up scoring two, and then I can't remember who else scored now. Now I'm trying to think about it. Was it Lons? Um, No. Or um, I can't remember. Pull that up. Pull, pull that up, I, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they wind up winning 6-2. I mean, this is – I mean, after watching the really, really boring 0-0 draw when it looked like we had no real scoring opportunities in the Wales game to then go on – and I know, I get it. Wales and Panama, way two different teams, especially when it comes to level. But we actually played with a true number nine in the Panama game, and we played with Leggett in – as a number nine who he usually plays on the wing or he plays as an offensive mid. We had him playing as a false nine in the Wales game and it looked terrible. And then you play Giacchini or whatever his name is, is the yeah. striker in the, in the Panama game. And he's a true number nine. And it showed he was diving for balls. He was making great runs. I mean, the kid looked good. I mean, and it, I'm happy he's playing for us. I hope he chooses to us because we're only, these are only friendly. So these guys can technically still not choose to play for us. But yeah. I think, I think with the other, I mean, I think he can play for Jamaica as well. And then obviously Musa could play for Ghana or England, but I hope, and I think that after being with this group that they're going to choose us. And I hope they do because they're two really young, good players. Yeah. So Reyna scored one. Giacchini scored two, Soto scored two, and was it, how do you pronounce his name? Leggett? Leggett. Sebastian Leggett. Leggett, I forgot, Sebastian Soto scored two. And he, Yes. it was rumored that he was going to choose to play for Chile over USA. And he wound up going to this camp and scoring. And and I I think I tweeted, I was like, ha, suck it, Chile, (laughs) when he scored two goals against Panama. But. I mean, yeah, he's I a mean, good he's a good young overall, striker too. Yeah, they definitely took their chances better than uh, they did against Wales. I mean, they had a lot more shots, more shots on goal. Um, that was a big difference between the two. It I don't know. It kind of seemed like in the Wales game, at least, like Dust and like some of those guys, they were kind of just trying to stay on the ball and kind of just trying to do a little more and uh, more flashy stuff. And they they seemed a little more. Uh, um, goal oriented this game. Yeah. Um, so maybe well, that had a first lot more goal freedom to go to go to goal. Yeah, it looks like the first goal might have woke him up a little bit against Panama. Didn't want to have another fault against Panama. Oh yeah. But I mean, I mean, Dust looked great. I mean, that's what you expect out of a guy that's now at Barcelona. Um, but he looked great. I mean, the center backs were the only big problems really in that game. I think. And I mean, Reem, he 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 did. I don't know. I don't know if it was a communication issue between him and Mizaga. Mizaga, I know on one of the first one, I think he just kind of st- he he didn't really 
Markwell, I think is what it was. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there's a little bit of a hole there. I think it might just been a communication issue if they haven't played together much. But. Yeah. Yeah, and I know – I think it's – yeah, it's pronounced Miazga. But Miazga, is, he's playing okay. in Belgium now and that for Anderlecht, and that's a good team. I know he's still technically contracted to Chelsea, but he always keeps going out on loan. I think he just needs to honestly give up on the Chelsea dream and find himself a, a nice and a good team in Europe. And it could be in Belgium. It could be in Netherlands, somewhere like that, where maybe he's not going to be in such a physical league, but a league where he can be kind of like a ball playing defender. Cause that's kind of like what Miazga was whenever he was in MLS, he was more like a ball playing defender. wanted to play it out of the back. And he did that a little bit in his Chelsea debut and it showed, but he's, he's, he's good in the air, but he's not the most physical with, you know, man to man going one-on-one cause he's not the fastest, but he's good with playing the ball out of the back. And I think he'll be a good center back. I think he's only like 25, 26. So mm-hmm. with our center back options right now, I think it's like John Brooks, you have Chris Richards who's playing at Bayern, but he's playing for their youth, their third division team. So it's not the highest level of play, but he's young. He's only 20. You have Matt Miazga. So we have, we have options now. And I like that the majority of our team and majority of our good players are all under the age of 25. Yeah. It's, but I think that's uh that's another reason why you might see Reem kind of, they might try to hold on to him for a little bit more in the uh, qualifying, even if he doesn't play much, just having that mm-hmm. veteran, experience a little more um, oh yeah to bring to the whole team especially to your your backs I mean I, th- I think you might see him stick around a little longer than what you'd expect just from uh his skill level compared to other people I mean he's not the most skilled obviously but he still plays at a high level and he's experienced yeah and I, I would much rather choose uh, a, a 30 32 33 year old center back who's playing at Fulham than a 28 year old who's playing at Columbus Crew you know, I just the yeah, level of play and the level of training and the intensity is way different. I'd definitely choose him and his experience and his level and can be really, really big for even guys who are like Chris Richards, who's already playing in Europe, but for like a third division team. And you have a guy who's playing at Fulham, who's post likely going to get relegated, even though the, they both play in Europe, Chris can learn so much from him. Yeah. But, and then, so that's, I mean, going to the midfield, I mean, McKinney will look great. Um, he looked he looked a lot better in this game than before, but he really pushed it on that one tackle. He questionable red card on that one tackle. He got yeah, definitely for, should have been a red card. <laughs> yeah, he just I was completely like, oh, went straight wow. studs up. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think the ref at the time was like, "I'm not going to give a red card in this friendly." Yeah, yeah. So overall, but, in that game, who do you think was the man of the match? Who was the man of the match of that game? Yeah. Um, I think it went to Giacchini. Um, but that's, I mean, that's who I Reino looked really good. I, mean, I think Reino could have been another one of those. And then McKinney just really uh, controlled the team altogether, I think. But Reino and, Reino and Giacchini, I mean, were the two big ones. Um, yeah. Musa really did a lot for himself in that game, though. Um, that he, he was kind of – the more time he got in this game, it was, I think it was kind of like what he was missing or what we were missing in the Wales game a little bit. But No, I, I agree. The That midfield, I'm so excited for that midfield in the future. McKinney, Musa, and Adams, that's just going to be – and they're all super young, and it's just uh, – that's something I can definitely get behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited yeah, for that. Agree. So I'm excited for the U.S. And then I like it, they're looking the to play – The thing I'm worried about – go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. 
I mean, the one thing that still bothers me, and I don't know why it bothers me about the team overall, is I just don't uh, – Bearhalter, he just doesn't seem like he has much of a tactical idea of how to play with these guys. Like, I think he's just – he knows he has so much talent, and he's like, I really can't mess this up, that he almost just doesn't want to get in the way and just kind of stands back. I don't know, because I didn't see I, – I just didn't see much from him. And then every time he does – has an interview or anything he I don't know he just talks about the same thing like it's nothing he doesn't really put any good information out there to really get excited about he's just like oh yeah we got these players and he's like we, I don't know we just need to control the ball better and it's like okay um that you're not really talking much about tactical like I don't know yeah. it seems like he's almost like a placeholder with just excellent young players so that's the only thing that that really kind of bothers me, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I, I've obviously since I've been following soccer, I've never seen a U.S. men's national team that had this much youth talent, that had this much yeah. talent, especially the young players that are getting quality minutes in Europe. I've never seen a team like, I mean, there, it might have been like a long time ago, back when like, you know, Josie was younger and Clint Dempsey was playing in Europe and Donovan was yeah. going on loan to Bayern Munich and stuff like that. I've never seen a U.S. men's national team that was this talented at this young age. So it's probably yeah. it's probably new to him as well. He's probably never dealt with a team of this much young talent. I mean, he's he's coached Columbus Crew, and then I think that's all. I think he was their coach yeah. for a couple of years, but he never had this much youth talent there. But exactly. I think over time, once he kind of figures out where is the best place to play some of these guys – then yeah. I hope he'll figure it out. I know he likes to play attacking football. I know he likes letting his wingbacks travel up the field. I know he puts a big emphasis on a center defensive mid that likes to fill into those spaces for those wingbacks. So, and that's perfect for Tyler Adams. So I'm yeah. excited to see what this U.S. men's national team will do. And I also want to know with all these players that he has in Europe, I wonder who in the MLS or American or local people MLS people that he wants to be able to put in that could gel in with these guys. I mean, that's, that's the big issue with being a U.S. men's national team coach is the fact that you don't see these guys every day. You only get to see them for like two months and then you have games. So it's going to be, that's going to be yeah. tough for him to find out how he's going to get all these young guys to gel. And I'm excited for it because yeah. I think this is going to be the best men's national team we've had in a long, long time. And we're so young, which means by, I think it's what it said the 2022 world cup is literally two years away. Qualification starts yeah. next year in a couple of months. Yeah. What's really exciting though is the, the 2026 one that'll be in the United States. And I think that like they could have it pretty well all together by then. And they will be, they'll all be in their prime. Future. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be pretty exciting to see. I think, I think they, they might, if they can keep it all together and everyone can for the most part, stay healthy and keep improving, I mean, they can put something special together. Think about this. Pulisic will be 27 or 28 years old at that yeah. World Cup, 2026. Yeah, that'll be perfect. It's crazy. It's He's still so young, and he's doing so well. Yeah. I'm not a big crazy. fan. I was never a big fan of him going to Chelsea, but I think I think it's going to be a, the right move for him because even let's say it doesn't work out at Chelsea. He's getting quality experience in the Premier League. He's getting – He's still young. So, I mean, I'm sure if it didn't work out at Chelsea, there's going to be plenty of Premier League teams 
or Bundesliga or Serie A or Spanish teams are going to be like, we'll take him. This dude can play in the prem. This dude's yeah. good. We'll get him. So yeah. on to our last part before we end this thing. Germany got their butts whooped 6-0 by Spain, and this hurt my heart. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, it was a it was a tough one. I mean, but it it was pretty glaringly obvious what was going wrong. Do you think so? A lot of it, it looked like the team didn't want to play for the manager. That's what it looked like. It looked like a team that didn't really yeah. know what they were looking for, didn't have any purpose, and then almost looked like they gave up. And yeah, this was I mean, when Manuel had, Neuer became the most capped yeah. Germany player. I think it was he won some record. He became like the most capped Nine, Germany yeah. player and then lose 6-0. It's Yeah, it was a 96 cap. And I mean what really looked like what happened was uh Lowe had a tactic of he was going to step one of the center mids or center, center backs up and he did and so that left one center back back kind of by himself. And at that point, I mean you have to have your your outside backs kind of come in a little bit and they're just like, "Ah, we're not going to do that." And it left uh, it left Ta just why like it left him being two on one sometimes and i mean one i think it was the fourth goal he stepped up and just made a little mistake and didn't really take a good chance and i mean that just left i think it was murata just pretty much free run at it yeah and neuer just couldn't do much but and yeah if- and then once they once they got past uh, a center backer once they were attacking spain was it seemed like no one in the mid wanted to to hurry back it was just it seemed like you're like all right they should be back and then you're like one two three and then they were finally back and it's just it was leaving opportunities wide open for spain and neuer just couldn't i mean i, I felt bad for for neuer yeah i mean uh, nothing you could do the one thing on that i'll say it when you said about the midfield it didn't look like they wanted to get back it looked like they didn't have like a true leader out there and like i'm not saying anything yeah. about manuel neuer he's obviously the in my opinion, still is either, if not the greatest goalie in the world right now, or at least top three. But he's the captain, and he's the leader, but he's he's the goalie. He's in the back. You almost need somebody yeah. that's in the field, moving the play, uh, taking care of the play in the middle of the park. You kind of want a leader there, too. And it, Goretzka, and they didn't have Kimmich, or Kimmich Joshua Kimmich, they didn't have him. Tony Cruz, he's been there for a long time, but he's more like a the silent leader type. He's not really like a get in your yeah. face, get back on defense, you know, kind of that German Franz Beckenbauer kind of de- uh, just the, the leader that's going to like push you guys through. And I think a lot of that has to do with, do you remember what happened after the uh, 2018 World Cup with the Germany squad? Basically um, what Joachim yeah. Love made them do. He basically no. retired Matt Hummels, Jerome Boateng, and Thomas Muller. Okay, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, the, these types of opportunities of having the leadership, I mean, it's perfect for having Hummels and Mueller just around. I yeah. Mean, in, in the locker room at all. I mean, and there's a lot of talk about people. I think it was uh, Ozul. Um, he was like, now it's time to bring Mueller back. Like, what do you think you're doing? I think he, he straight said that on Twitter. I think he, he tweeted that out. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a team that needed him. And not maybe his play, but his leadership. His They needed somebody getting in those guys' butts 
to keep them going. And I think they missed yeah. out. And even Thomas or Matt Hummels would have been a great option there at center back, but he basically retired those guys. And he said, Hey, you know, I want to bring in these new young players. I don't need you anymore. I think what he should have done is he should have said, Hey, I'm going to start bringing in these younger guys, but if I need you, can I call on you? That's what he should have done. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know what his opinion, like why he chose to do that. I think it was kind of like a rash decision that he made after having such an embarrassing world cup that he did that to them. And I didn't think that they were terrible in the world cup. I think there was a lot of issues. I think a lot of it has to be with the fact that it's just starting to get stagnant for Germany. It's, it's the same coach yeah. that they've had. He's been their coach for what? 12, 15 years. That's really, that does not happen anymore, especially as a national team yeah. coach. Yeah. And I it think he's one of those guys. It definitely seemed like they didn't really want to play for him because I mean they were. It looked like they were doing the tactic that he wanted, but they were just putting no effort in. Like they mm-hmm. they had such a high line, but they had no. They weren't playing high pressure. I mean, you have the high line, but you have no pressure. You're just sitting back. I mean, yeah, they're they're gonna a good team is gonna attack you and just beat you. Yeah, and this Spain team wasn't even that good. Like uh, exactly the Spain the Spain coach uh, Luis Enrique after the game was like. Like he kind of looked like, uh, I guess this happened. He was like so surprised with his own team and how they played because that was not yeah. a crazy good Spain team. But that, if you look well, at that German team great. on paper, that German team should wax them, should destroy them. Maybe not the wingbacks, but Spain, other than that, they should have. Yeah, Spain didn't play crazy good either. They played fine. I mean, they played and they they just did what they needed to do. I mean, they took what was given to them. And they didn't do anything special. They played how Spain plays. Yeah. But what so, I – and the thing is, too, about Matt Hummels Jerome, and Jerome Boateng, that's probably a good one to, like, okay, you're, yeah. you're done. He's he's getting old. So Mueller, but Mueller just had the best season in his entire career, and he's 30. And then Matt Hummels is only 31, 32, and he's having a great year for, for Bruce Dortmund. So it's like why, why would you cut, cut their career short? Now, they didn't have the best year when he chose to retire them, but now they're playing some of the best football they've ever played in their entire career. Matt Hummels, not Matt Hummels, yeah. Thomas Muller had like 17 assists for us last year and led the team in assists and got us to win the champions league. I mean, it's why would you not want that guy in your team? And I, and the thing well, is what his problem is, is he will not go back on his decision. Now, after he's no. chose to retire them, if he went back like groveling, like, mm, please come back. I, I was them. I'd say, no, this is what you get. And yeah. he can't go back on his decision now because it'll ruin him. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think it's – you're talking about two, three key players that it could be a, a one-goal game or a tie game, and they, they're the ones that turn the tide from just multiple things. I mean, you could, you could see that if you take out a key part of a team um, all the way back from 2012 that they probably wouldn't have had that World Cup run in 2014 i mean you th- when you think about 2014 world cup you think about germany winning it them being argentina by one in the final and you think about seven one just, i was brazil about to say game. them destroying brazil seven one but you have to think about that game specifically i mean neymar just broke his back the game before how if you were playing for brazil how just demoralized would you be you wouldn't want to go out there and play when your best player is not there and you're supposed to be playing on this big stage but you also uh, Tiago Silva was uh, suspended. He was their leader in the yeah. back, and he couldn't. He couldn't. He wasn't there to lead them. Th- these players may it, make but, a huge difference. And well, the whole 2014 World Cup, beside like in games before that, they struggled with Algeria. They beat Algeria two one. They tied Ghana. 
They only beat the United States 1-0. And they they just ended up playing good enough in every single game, just turning the tide a little bit to win the World Cup. I mean, that's all it was. They weren't destroying people for years and years and years. You know, I mean, they they struggled quite a bit. I mean, I mean, yeah, they it, they beat Portugal like 4-0, I think, in that one. But all the goals, all, all the games were like one goal. I mean, they they tie Poland in 2000, and I think it was the 2014 Euros, and or something like that. And Northern Ireland, they only beat by one. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things you could kind of see coming for the team if if some if they don't want to play. I mean, yeah, Germany's been one of those teams where like if they don't score a lot, they score literally one. And like that's it. Yeah, it's like they either destroy you, you or they barely beat you, but you don't get a shot because they're so strong defensively. And, and they have the best goal ever. So I mean, yeah. But. but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like I think it's time for a change for Germany. I think they need someone to even if it's the same ideas. I just think there needs to be a new fresh face as the manager of Germany. And it's pretty interesting. Klinsmann came out and said that they, they shouldn't panic right now and that they, they shouldn't change coaches. And I was like, I think now's about the right time to do it. I mean, you don't want to get into World Cup qualifying and then you're struggling for your first yeah. half of World Cup qualifying. And you're like, oh, now we need to change coaches. And you change coaches, well, then you have to adapt to this new style, potentially just new tactics, tactics and everything like that. And then next thing you know, you might not be qualifying for the World Cup as Germany, which would be yeah. – Wow. Well, they yeah. have the Euros so next think, summer, and they have a World Cup to get ready for. They have two years. That That's that's yeah. not a lot of time. They need to make a change now if they're going to. I mean, but who do you think is going to be potential next up? So this is like everyone's going to say – and you're thinking it too because, like, everyone's going to say, like, the, yeah. the, the basic managers, like, they're going to say, like, Thomas Tuchel – you know, you have uh, Jurgen Klopp, you have Julian Nagelsmann, you have Hansi Flick. And Klopp, now... said, that, and Klopp said he's not going to do it until his no. his contract's up. And he signed till 2024 with Liverpool. Yeah. So that takes him out right there, unless they can convince him somehow. Yeah. And I think Julian Nagelsmann is also a no-go just because of his age. I don't think he'll – he he's a good coach, but he hasn't won anything. I mean, everyone talks yeah. about how amazing he is. He hasn't won anything. He's also in the Bundesliga, and it's kind of hard to win anything in the Bundesliga if you're not Bayern Munich. Yeah. Well, it and it'll be interesting to see what he says and how he kind of spins uh, the, the second half of the season for Leipzig because, mm. I mean, they started out really strong, but they've been, they've been struggling recently. So yeah. that kind of shows maybe a little bit of problem there with him. I mean, he's 33, so. Yeah, he's I mean, he's not – an old manager. And I think giving the job to a 33 year old would be terrible. I don't think that would go over. Well. It either will go amazing or it's going to go really, really bad. And I don't think Germany is yeah. going to put the pressure of the German national team on the hand, on the shoulders of a 33 year old. I think he needs to have a couple more years coaching and figure his thing and actually win something. He's never won anything like not even a Deutsche Pokal or the Bundesliga. He hasn't won a trophy yet. So we'll see. And I don't think he'll stay at RB Leipzig for very long. I think he'll be picked up. Yeah, and I think if he was, I think if he was smart, he wouldn't take the position if it was offered to him either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like if he wins, it's like okay, that's fantastic. Like if he does great, okay, he's probably not going to win a World Cup. Like let's be honest, there's not a good chance he's going to win a World Cup in 2022. Um, yeah, if that's the only thing that he could do, 
where everyone would be like, this is great. This is amazing. But I mean, it's Germany. If he struggles at all, I mean, that's, that's a rough way to kind of still be in the early steps of your career and just mm-hmm. being destroyed by your own country as <laughs> uh, just being attacked. I mean, they're, yeah. they're not going to like that. So as much as I'm going to, I'm going to hate to say it. I think that Hansi Flick is probably the best choice and that's the current Bayern manager. And he was the assistant whenever they won the 2014 world cup. And a lot of those guys yeah. have played for him. And a lot of those guys respect him. And a lot of those guys love him as much as I would hate to lose him at Bayern Munich. I think yeah. if they're going to, if they were going to replace him now, I think that would be their best bet. There's a couple of guys that are like not coaching at all right now. They're, that are free that they could pick. But if you want to pick someone who's fresh and is in the scene now, and of those four managers, I said, I think Hansi Flick would be the best choice. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do, but. I think change is probably necessary, but just unfortunately, opinion. I think what they're going to do is they're going to stick with them until after this world cup. And then they'll, that'll be it. I think that's what they'll yeah. do. I don't want that to happen, but assuming because he did give them a world cup, he's been a good coach. It's just starting to go stagnant now, unless things get really, really bad. And six Oh is really, really bad, but yeah. unless things get really bad, I, I don't see them firing him most of the time because he's, I think he's buddy, buddy with the, technical director or whatever so but it's it's sad it saddens me too because now this is germany's worst defeat like ever i think and there's a song called england five germany one and it's like england five germany one and it's uh talks about that was their biggest defeat since 1931 or whatever and now that song doesn't work anymore you gotta make a spain six germany zero yeah i don't think that's gonna work (laughs) <laughs> other than that right, um, you, uh, do you Josh Sargent uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah the uh Werder Bremen versus Bayern Munich game this was a very very exciting 1-1 draw not only because yeah. this is the first time Bremen has gotten a point this is like the first point they've gotten against Bayern in the last eight years like that's the, mm-hmm. even if it's a 1-1 draw that's a huge huge point and Bremen should have won Hansi Flick yeah. came out after the game being like, had, you all were lucky to get a draw. Yeah. Sargent could have had potentially three goals. I mean, three goals in the last 10 minutes. Two, 10 minutes he had, could have yeah. had three goals. Yeah, I mean, he – what was it? He, I mean, he got the assist, which was really good. He took it off the throw-in, and I think it was 15th minute, and just chested it down, turned, kept his head up, and made a nice pass across the middle right to his guy. I mean, And it was a great finish, too. Yeah. If you're going to beat Manuel Neuer, you have to make it a good one. Oh, it was in the 45th. In the 15th minute, he he had a – there was a cross to him. He really positioned himself well um, and stayed onside and got a foot on it. And Neuer just made the Neuer save. I mean, it's all you can say about that one. Um, Yeah, I mean, he looked really good. One later in the game, he had a great chance to score, and Goretzka slid and hit off his foot and – went out of bounds so oh, yeah. he had so many and chances he had to that score. Breakaway. he had a breakaway at the end and i mean he just took a little bit hard of a touch that carried him to the outside and the only place he could go was near post on neuer and that doesn't happen often so that one got got saved away but if he would just had a little bit softer of a touch he would have been a little more centered and i think he probably would put it in yep 
but but yeah, well, overall pretty good. Yep. Preston, anything you'd like to add? No, I think I've said just about everything I got. <laughs> I've said all I've got to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all I got to say about that. All right. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and end it here. I think it's been about an hour, which is a lot longer than I wanted it to be, but it's totally fine. Uh, if you're listening, thank you for listening and uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Mo Soccer Podcast or follow us on YouTube. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you.